Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, we have Martin Theobald. Fix up, look sharp. And uh, because we're a squad rotating team, Tony needs a break, we're bringing in uh, one David Allen onto the pod. That's it, Terry's having a week off, so who do we sub in? We sub in the man that's yeah. taking on Luis Ortiz we next to, week. We've got to rotate the stable, mate. It's legend. Just, that's what happens, so um, yeah. Replace one legend with another, I'm missing you, Terry. David Allen's coming in, and yeah, unfortunately, we're going to. But however, Terry is going to feature on the pod, and at several stages, we're going to seamlessly blend him in through the magic of science and WhatsApp <laughs> voice recording. <laughs> uh, so it'll be pretty uh, clunky, but you know, bear with us, and hopefully, we'll produce something. You that wouldn't, you wouldn't expect anything else. So. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and hopefully, you'll be uh, you'll be happy with the uh, price that you paid for this podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, if your happiness reflects the price you pay for yeah, it, yeah. we'll be happy. Yeah, I don't think it could ever be any different to that, if I'm honest. I don't think we have the capability, even if it was a penny a download. <laughs> okay, let's start then with um, Richard Commie versus Shakikov, which I've had to spell phonetically because I have absolutely no idea who this guy is, um, on Friday in Russia. What happened? All right, so Richard Comey, off the back of going over to America, fighting Robert Easter Jr., uh, where he lost in the World Title Challenge, um, goes over to Russia in an eliminator to fight <coughs> um, Robert Easter Jr. again. So he takes on Shakivov. It was a very, very close fight. I've seen a few people kind of uh, querying the, the scores from the end of it. Comey lost on points, which was almost a statistical inevitability before the fight. Um, Shakivov has lost a couple but never been stopped. Komi, we saw against Robert Easter Jr., has power but not destructive power. Um, he's a good boxer but not a great boxer. Shakivov, you know, he <laughs> his promoters paid for that fight to come over to Russia. There was no way Richard Komi was leaving having got the win. Uh, no way whatsoever unless he left Shakivov on that canvas. I've exchanged a couple of tweets with Mickey and Moo who is Richard Comey's uh, manager and does a great job with him as well as some of the other Ghanaian talents that he's got under his wing, like Duke Mika. Um, and there's obviously a frustration within that team that the Sauerlands have not invested into um, Richard Comey in any way whatsoever. They keep letting him go off on the road. They're not getting him any uh, home fights. I use home loosely because he is Ghanaian. There isn't that much of a boxing scene over there. But, you know, the Sauerlands could have put him on in Germany, um, could have got him some opportunities in Europe, could have run, you know, an English show with their English talents and got him on there, but they haven't. They're quite happy. I've heard some stories about how the money is distributed under the um, some of the Sauerland contracts. I don't know how true they are or not, but the terms aren't always that favourable to the fighter. 50% um, to Klitschko, no matter what <laughs> fight's going on. <laughs> um yeah, so now I feel for Richard Comey out of this because that's twice now that he's had to go on the road, take tough, tough fights. 
hasn't come back with a result that could have gone, you know, it could have gone in his favour, no doubt about it, but it wasn't ever going to go in his favour. Um, he's slightly basic at times, Commie, but he's still an effective boxer. Still, he's a danger in that lightweight division. The problem you're going to get is that he's too much of a danger. You wouldn't voluntarily fly Richard Commie over to fight, say, Luke Campbell. Eddie Hearn's not going to be paying the money that Richard Commie would want because he's too much of a danger to someone like that. So, you know, he's really in limbo because he hasn't got that promotional backing from the Sowlands. So who do the Sowlands actually actively promote and put their weight behind? Uh, they've got the likes of Pulev. Um, they have Groves and Price. Uh, they have... Uh, is it... Not De Carolis, um Feigenberts out in um, out in Germany. There's a few kind of German ones. They're they're uh, stable of fighters. Has kind of depleted a little bit over time, but um, yeah, they just it's a shame because they have such a depleted stable. They are getting behind the likes of Pulev. You would think somebody who is you know, potentially, and at the moment you would say legitimately on the brink of being world-class, they would actually put some money behind, but they're not. and It's frustrating. Okay, I just want to, before we go any further, just uh, give a shout-out to, how do you pronounce them? Artie Star. Who um, have supplied us. Should we, should we give a breakdown as to the uh, story of how this came about? Nah, 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 nah. Uh. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Okay, so we got some uh, promotional t shirts and uh, hoodies and stuff from Artie Star. Yeah, yeah. Um, top man as well. Um, yeah, so shout out to them. Um, and this is we're recording this with all our gear on. Yeah, but we'll tweet a photo out of it as well. Yeah, okay. we'll, uh, yeah. we're rocking that. So let's go on to Billy Joe versus Akavov in Scotland. Um, and Terry had something to say about this. So, uh, Terry, what did you think? <laughs> Terry, from over there. <laughs> Shit, there's something happening with Billy Joe Saunders. Fuck knows what it is. Something has really thrown the guy off his game. Like, he looked like someone who was either pissed off with Jimmy Tibbs, pissed off with Frank Warren, pissed off with himself. I, I'm genuinely worried about Billy Joe Saunders because it wasn't the Billy Joe we're used to seeing. The way he was boxing in there, I had Akavov leading halfway through. I was nervous. I didn't think Billy would dig it out. And he just relied on fighting instinct and fighting pride to pull that through. It, it was quite possibly one of the worst performances I have seen. You know, the stick O'Hara Davis got for his performance should be multiplied by a 1,000 for what Billy Joe Saunders deserves. It was abject. It was painful to watch. It it looked like Sugar Ray Leonard versus Terry Norris in the early 90s where you could sense Sugar Ray Leonard knew what he wanted to do and his body was about six or seven seconds behind. And in that time, Terry Norris would tee off on him. And that's what I saw in Billy Joe Saunders. I hope it's not a sign of decline. I hope it's something that can be resolved. But he definitely shouldn't change trainers. He's too long in the tooth. He's too used to a routine to be changing. Because I don't think anyone in Britain will give Billy Joe Saunders anything that the Tibbs family can't give him. So, you know, brush that under the carpet. He needs to be fighting four or five times a year because he can't keep ballooning up in weight the way he does. Same thing for Tyson Fury. Fucking awesome seeing Tyson Fury just presenting the belt. Looked like he was, you know, happier in life. Looked huge, though. So probably has at least four months 
just to ship the weight, never mind being in camp. So let's see what happens 2017, you know. Good luck to the travellers. Good luck to the class of 2008, as I keep saying, the best amateur generation this country's ever produced. Right, as I didn't see it, uh, Terry, who is obviously sat right next to me as I'm saying this and not pre-recording this over a WhatsApp conversation. Seamless. Seamless. Uh, What did you make of the corner work, Terry? Because I've seen quite a lot of criticism. Click. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, the corner work on Saturday was shocking. It's embarrassing. Um... I don't know where Billy Joe picked those guys up from. It might have been on the market in Green Street somewhere in the East End. But basically, you just had some guys who probably just knock about in a gym, watched a few fights on YouTube, and all of a sudden they became experts. Because not once did they tell Billy Joe he was blowing it, because he was absolutely blowing it. They didn't tell him to double up on the... They, they, didn't, they didn't tell him to do any of the basics. They didn't get inside his head. They didn't... You know, they were almost in awe of him. You know, like, oh, I get to be here on BJ. They, they were enjoying the moment more than he was. And that meant that they weren't focused on actually telling the guy what the hell he needed to do because he did need to fight. And they weren't telling him to fight. They weren't telling him how to deal with boxing at Southport. But this is Billy Joe Saunders. Billy Joe Saunders has boxed the who's who of the amateurs and pretty much the who's who of the pros. He should know what he's doing. So they needed someone in there to provide some leadership. They didn't have it. I would be very worried if he gets rid of Jimmy Tibbs because I don't think there's anyone else. You can't go to a guy like Adam Booth because his methods are too different. The Gallagher's methods are too different. There probably isn't anyone in the UK apart from going somewhere like the Ingalls, but even there, would he really do any better? I don't know. But that corner work was disgusting. Well, gee, thanks, Terry. That is excellent. Um, Thank we'll, you very we'll call much, on you Terry. Soon, Terry. <laughs> now it's substitutes in the house, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna bring him on. Uh, this is Martin talking to David Allen a short time ago, talking about his uh, his big build up next Saturday uh, on the Sky Bill, taking on one of the most feared heavyweights on the planet, <laughs> uh, which you wouldn't really guess by listening to Dave, who's as chilled out as anything. Hello, hello, mate. I doing all right. Yeah, all right. So on Saturday, then you've got Luis Ortiz, who, if we're being honest about it, most people are favouring you to lose. Like, does that is it bothering you that you're, you know, people are so adamant that you haven't got a chance of this, or does it does it help you? It, um, it makes a whole difference to me. Um, obviously, there's very little pressure in this fight on 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 me because. Everyone kind of thinks it's a one-round job, you know. Even Matt Schumann made it an eight-rounder. They don't want to pay me money for 10 or 12 because they probably think Ortiz is going to get me out of there. I'd turn around the two, but there was no pressure on me. Um, I don't know if Ortiz will feel any pressure. I don't think he's going to think, oh, my God, I'm fighting D-Day, you know. <laughs> he's probably still not afraid of me uh, now. So, you know, the first time he'll ever lay eyes on me in any way, shape, or form, but it'll work out tomorrow. Pretty sure he's not worrying really looking at looking at the record and whatever else. But yes, yeah, I, I can speak for myself, and then um, yeah, there's no pressure whatsoever. So you know, uh, the, the only pressure that is on me is on myself because I expect I don't take fights. Yeah, cause um, you're, you're not expecting, expecting to lose this, are you? Like being deadly serious, mate. You're expecting yourself to at least put up the best performance possible and to win it. Yeah, anything but a winning is, is disappointing. Um, if, I, if I really honestly believed there was zero chance of winning this fight or any other fight, I wouldn't take it. I don't go in there. To, I, don't, I don't go in the ring 
I don't fight live in front of hundreds of thousands of people, maybe more, to get beat on TV for money because that's, that's not my mentality. You know? I couldn't do that. So, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go live on TV in front of all my friends and family to get beat for a few quid. That that's not that's not how I works. If I didn't truly believe that I could win and, and and put up a good showing, then I wouldn't do it. And how much um, the tension of your pace to the you know the talking of having the three hundred odd fights, yeah, um, how many pro fights you've had? How much do you pay attention to that at all, or just you know you concentrate on what you're doing, and not how many fights you've had over uh, however many <laughs> however many years you've got on the clock? I believe that the most important thing in boxing is experience, because the amount of time you see. Fighters like step up like Ben Hall against Carson Jones, you know, what what beat him in that fight was experience. So I know for a fact how important experience is, you know, I've already found that out first and the Bulgarian that I watched was a top international amateur, you know, he's only one one on one as a pro, but you know, experience in that fight showed um, uh, Jason Gavin experience that like Jason Gavin had him messing around for a few rounds. That's experience, you no know, team's got that experience, he's also you know, he's also got world class skills and looks like he's got world class punching power as well, so you know, I'm, I'm aware of everything that he's done. You know, he's had more fights. Um, probably, yeah, probably had more fights when he was ten years old than I've ever had in my life. So, yeah, I know, I know the size of the task, and the Malik Scott fight hasn't, hasn't made me think uh, it's any easier. And, and that's what a lot of people seem to be saying. But you know, I know, I know how hard it's going to be. You know, and um, the, the the only thing that can happen in the ring is it's going to be easier than I expect because I do expect, I do expect a very hard night. Have you trained any differently since? Because you're down with Dillian again, aren't you? Um, or you've been down with Dillian. So are you, are you yeah, training yeah. harder? You know, why, why are you preparing as usual? Well, for the last the last few months, I pulled out the fight um, at the end of uh, August. Um, and like, I had three weeks, really, that, um, where I didn't do a thing. I, tend, I didn't really leave the house for three weeks. Um, put on a lot of weight. I was, I was, um, you know, I was, was, I was going downhill in terms of, in terms of boxing and my health and whatever else I was eating and not doing anything. And I put weight on. Dillian gave me a call. I went to spar for the Lewiston fight. I then came back home, trying to continue to, to be on a downward spiral in terms of eating and not doing much. The price fight became a possibility, so I changed for a few days for that. The mat was dead in the water. I kind of had a little bit more time off. Um, and Dillian rang me about Chisora. So I went down to Spa. This is about, I can't think that long ago, which is maybe three weeks. And then around the same time, um, I've been pestering Eddie for a long, for a long time. <laughs> and the LT fight became a possibility. You know, he said, it's a possibility. He said, get me new. It's a possibility, you know. I, at the time, I'm thinking maybe Ortiz, maybe Price, even ten percent is a chance. So I knew that David Price and Ortiz wasn't going to happen ten percent. So I knew that I could maybe watch one or the other. So yeah, around four weeks ago, I started doing some sparring with Dillian, a bit of steady training. Um, but you know, for this fight, this past week I've been I've been with Mick Mars and four days this week. But apart from that, I've trained myself for this fight. I've run, I've done my weights on my own. Um, because you've always got that, mental, you've got that mental fitness, haven't you? That you, you know you can fall back on and rely upon. I do in in the gym with the with the running. I do incredible times and stuff with the running. I'm I'm fit. I've I've done nothing 
but but training in one sport or another since I was six years old. Um, so I'm very fit, you know, and my weight is very high, you know, I'm still smoking in the in the, in the Dillion fight, but, you know, for past fights, I've kind of been around 17, 6, 17, 7, and I've kind of gone on mad diets, you know, leading up to the fight to get my weight down to 17 stone for some reason, I don't know, doing the scales or whatever else, I'll keep myself confident on that I'm light, but you know, that's been detrimental to my performance a little bit. So this time I'm coming a little bit heavy. You know, even in the past, sometimes I've been in the sauna the day before, or, uh, the day of the weigh-in and stuff, getting weight off. It's madness. So I do feel very strong and I, and I do feel fit. You know, this fight is going to come down to whether Ortiz is, if he's just too good for me or not. That's all it's going to come down to. You know, um, it won't be a lack of training. It won't be a lack of anything else. It'll just be a case of what Ortiz is, as good as people say he is, you know. It's going to be a very hard night. And do you think, like, your performance on the back of this, win, lose, however it goes, your performance off of this could open other doors for you? So, yeah, obviously with the Frank Warren situation and BT Sport, and then, you know, you flirted with Eddie for ever long, uh, getting signed you for matchroom. Like, heavyweights are always a rare commodity and a decent commodity for promoters. Um, so you're hoping that off the back of this, there's going to be that stability and support for you. I think there's a few ways there's, there's a few ways this fight can go in terms of what happens in my future. You know, if I win, I'm there. You know, if I win, then I'll be still looking. I'll be looking for the next biggest fight possible. You know, if you um, win, I mean, you've got to be in the Joshua frame, isn't you? Yeah, I think, and you know, I, I'm trying not to think. I don't want to think that far ahead. You know, I don't see myself. The thing with Lewis, this Lewis Ortiz fight, if he is true world class, and I mean real world class, yeah, right. I am, I am, I am that one just a one shot, you know, because I'm not world class because I don't have that experience. I believe I've got world class attributes. I believe I've, I've been world class in sparring, but I don't believe I am world. I'm not a world class fighter. So with Luis Ortiz, I've got my work out, you know. Yeah. But so I'm not thinking that. I think if I beat Ortiz, you know, does that make me world class? I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe he's not all he's got to be. Maybe, maybe he's going to become older overnight because I believe there is that possibility. There's a possibility he's old already. <laughs> yeah, and I believe, and and you know, you crack him on the chin, an old man on the chin, and and you don't know. But in terms of after this fight, you know, if I put up a good performance, uh, it's competitive, then I can go again. Then I'm, then I'm in the British title. You know, if we get banged out in the round, then then I'm not really sure what happens. You know, it's a it's a, it's a pretty long rebuilding process. And but yeah. if, if I go in there and I lose eight rounds in the same manner that this is in white, I then become a gatekeeper, really. That's all I've become, you know. I'll probably be chucked into David Price and whoever else, and oh, he'll, he'll take you eight or ten rounds, and, and, and that's really not what I want. So I've got a lot of ambition, you know. I'm not so excited for the money. The money's not, the money's, you know, it's, it's not, it's a lot of money in terms of it's a lot of money because it's, you know, it's a decent amount of money, but for the fight and whatever else, you know, it's not. So it's nothing to do with that. I've got a lot of ambition. I plan on beating what we saw these. And then, and whatever the result is, you know, I'll worry about that afterwards. Right now, I'm, I'm, I am just concerned on winning the fight. Yeah. So, you, you know, it's about your aspirations. It's not about your filling a gap for matchroom. No, no. My plan is my, my my overall goal. My overall goal, obviously, anyone who's involved in boxing wants to become a world champion. You know, but I'm a little bit more realistic than most. Um, I've always wanted to become a British champion, but uh, and I wasn't planning on boxing again uh, at least for this year. You know, um, when I sat down um, September time, I said, "No, I'm finished. I'm, I don't want to box right now. Like, 
So I said, I went down to spar with Julian. I thought, you know what, it's a David Price fight. Just, just come up, you know, I'll take that. But I'm not taking anything else. And the OC fight come up, which is even bigger than the Price fight. And, and you can't really say no to these opportunities. But in boxing, I still want to win a British title, you know. I've got a lot of ambition, you know. And people are confused with the amount of money that boxers are making. We're not making the money that people think, you know. It's not for the money. I could get a... I could get a steady job doing more than anything and earn more than, than most possible in a year. So it's not even about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then looking at who have you got working in the corner? Because you've, uh, you've not been back to England, have you? It's, uh, are you getting a different corner team this time out? It'll be Mick Martin, you know, he's in the corner for a Dillian White fight. So uh, he's a manager. Yeah. Um, I've done a little bit of training with him for the fight. Me and Mick go back a long way. So. Me and making we'll grab someone else, you know, to um to do something job. Yeah, whatever whatever needs doing, you know, just be me and missing then like I say, you know, whoever's in the corner doesn't make a difference because I stand there and I have a look at the crowd and I I do whatever, you know, I um But it might help you to have some stability there as well, because you and Mick go back quite a distance, don't you? Yeah, Mick's good, you know, Mick's um Mick's old school, you know, he doesn't mess about it. He said to me, he said, you know, if you're not hundred percent in this fight you know, it's never mind not winning. You'll you'll not get out of the first round. So yeah. my 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 head is screwed on, and I just hope that I can perform this time. I've just been I don't know if it's inexperience or not being able to perform on the big stage, but I'm not shown I'm not shown one percent of, of what I can do. You know, if, if you mentor Anthony Joshua and and Robert and another world class fighters that have sparred with this, they tell you that I'll probably win a world title one day, and, and then. I get in the ring and you see me against Jason Gavin and Gillian White and you say that fellow's not even at the realistic level. You know, it's, it's very disheartening that when you do stuff like that and you get in the ring and it, it doesn't come off. So I'm, I'm just hoping it's down to experience and, you know, for Gillian White, I feel inspiring that it's brought me on, you know, 100%. So, you know, it, it's open. Uh, and what sponsors are you working with, Dave, that we can get a mention to? Yeah, I'm working with uh, the best friend shop in Baldwin, run by uh, Jamie Colton, an old school friend. So it's nice to be um, that, he, that, he's, that he's doing this. Um, so yeah, Freshman Shop, freshmanshop.co.uk. They're they're doing the, the t-shirts and whatever else for the weigh-in, the, the workout and whatever else. Um, simply the best ring walk songs. The the album that's out, that's brilliant. Um, split Split Records, Alpha Scaffolding. My main sponsor, you know, really helped me out a lot is the Front End Lab. Um, they're they're friends with my. Uh, Brother-in-law, so they they've been brilliant, and also on, on my shorts I've got the MSA, the Multum Sportism Atrophy Trust. Hopefully, raise a bit of awareness for that. You know, not a lot of people will have heard of that. So hopefully, I'll raise some awareness for their good stuff for their thing. So yeah, excellent. All right, many thanks for your time, Dave. Appreciate it, mate. Cheers, mate. Excellent. Big shout out to David Iron. Thanks very much for that. He's always welcome on the show. And uh, what's well, the second time he's been on now, isn't it? So yeah, you know, we spoke about him last week, and um, you know how circumstances really. And I think he's alluded to it there. In an ideal scenario, this wouldn't be the fight that he's in, but it's the boxing game, it's the boxing system. He hasn't had the backing behind him, so all that we can do as fans is back him on Saturday night and wish him, you know, all the best, and that he pulls it off. And comes out with a win. And then, you know, if he does that, as he's alluded to again there, I'm sure Eddie Hearn will be opening up the checkbook. Fair play to him. If there's one thing that the British public admire, it's bottle. And he's definitely got that. He's got bottle. He's got heart. He'll take fights that other fighters won't take. 
you can't criticize. You can criticize the fight all you want if you've got an issue with it. We said it last week. The one person out of the entire scenario you cannot criticize is David Allen. Okay, let's move on to uh, a review of York Court the weekend. Take it away. You were there, weren't you? I was there. Uh, we'll just run through some of the, the main um, bits of it. So it's a Christmas carnage show, Goodwin show, uh, down at York Hall, the last one there of 2016. What happened of the main interest? You had Michael Devine, known for his kind of prize fighter um, days. He went out and beat Ben Day in two rounds. Very impressive. Devine's got a new training set up up in Manchester. Ben Day wasn't on his game whatsoever. Uh, he's had a lot of personal stuff going on. I don't know how much of that affected him on Saturday night, but it wasn't the Ben Day that we've seen many, many times before in the ring. Um, there was something missing, but fair play to Devine. Uh, Southern area lightweight champion now. Uh, be interesting to see what they can do with him. He's had opportunities before. He'd been up and down through his career. It, last night, he looked the best I've ever seen him. So I think, you know, they can hopefully look to move him on. Shout out to JP Smith, who was down there with Boxing Luton, who was over the moon with the result, um, jumping up and down and all over the place. Massive support there for Divine. Um, so you know, I'm pleased for him. Hope he can move on from that. Uh, other Southern Area title fight, uh, Josh Kennedy came out to the ring with a snowman outfit on. I tweeted out a few pictures of it. <laughs> uh, coming out... For Southern Harris, uh, featherweight title fight against Jamie Spate. Jamie Spate, who's a hard, hard man. Uh, Jamie Spate, who just doesn't really ever get stopped. He's been in with Warrington, Isaac Lowe, been in with top-level competitors. Um, Josh Kennedy stepping up from Super Bantamweight stopped Jamie Spate in the third or the fourth round, cracking right hand that Spate walked onto. Um, Spate, his game plan, I checked him before, was just to frustrate Kennedy. He can get frustrated relatively easily. Um, and he was doing that. He was making him miss many, many shots, but he walked onto his right hand that Kennedy threw brilliantly. Um, he never really recovered from that spate. Snow getting up from that. Snow getting up from that. <laughs> Josh Kennedy jumped on him and just unleashed like many, many shots. Interesting thing about that is that he's gone up from super bantamweight to featherweight, Josh Kennedy, won the Southern Area title. He's going to vacate it immediately, move back down to super bantamweight and fight for the English title in his next fight. Um, so fair play he's just a fighting man he's a good good talent ducking and diving not only in the ring but throughout the weight divisions to yeah. get himself up the ladder but that's it he's giving himself opportunities <laughs> fair play to anyone you know he's early on yeah. in his career unbeaten he's taking opportunities he wants to fight uh, keep an eye out for Josh Kennedy uh, well, else? Brad Pauls. We speak about Brad fairly often on here. Um, shout out to Brad. It wasn't his best performance last night. He's fairly um, quick coming back to the ring after a fight he had down in Devon. Wasn't uh, putting his combinations together like we used to see him from Brad. But it was still a four-round. He won every round, every second of every round. He's heavy-handed. He was looking for the knockout. I was chatting to him afterwards. And he was saying, you know, he's almost built a rod for his own back with a reputation of knocking fighters out and now he's going out there to knock people out rather than box them. Um, so I think he learned something out of that. It was an interesting fight. You know, he, he got cut on the nose a bit by his own kind of stupidity, by his own admission. Um, so, yeah, he you know he's finished the year well. I think he's now 5-0, and uh, knocked out three of them. Very, he was still impressive. He wasn't happy with it himself, and his coach Terry Stewart wasn't overly happy. But he, I said to him afterwards, "It's all right not to be happy with it. I can understand that, but don't be unhappy with it. Like it was still good enough um, to comprehensively win it." I was joined by his 
stable mate uh, Linus Eudofia for a while during it. Shout out to Linus. Uh, Nick Parper, light heavyweight, is now three wins, three knockouts, and that man can punch. Training mate of Frank Buglioni. Um, yeah, very heavy handed man, very huge, huge legs on the man. Like a light heavyweight with legs like that is insane. Um, but he plants those feet and he lets the hands go. Be interesting to see if anyone can uh, keep up with him uh, at this stage of his career. After three fights, it'll be hard to match him with somebody. Like the cost of getting an opponent is going to increase every time he fights. Put it that way. Um, shout out to Jamie R. Lane. He was in a southern area lightweight eliminator. Against Andrew Joycey, those two fought earlier this year. Um, Arlene won it on points. Arlene is a swimming guard at York Hall, Monday to Friday. Uh, <laughs> lifeguard down there, and then, you know, fights down there as well. Um, and then sometimes gets in bottom match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, really impressive performance, actually. He was boxing well, uh, and then stopped Andrew Joycey in, uh, I think it was fourth round, maybe third or fourth round. Um, a lot of people doubted whether Arlene had the power to do so. Joyce has got a big right hand on him, but fairly limited technician other than that. But uh, Arlene did very, very well. Um, he'll step up now to possibly fight Michael Deviner, we mentioned earlier. Final one was uh, Cruiserweight Fight Cup final. So you had Carl Wheeler fighting Ryan Crawford. Uh, winner gets the Fight Cup, they get some prize money, and they now become the mandatory for the Cruiserweight Southern Area title. Carl Wheeler having a bit of a renaissance in his career, um, kind of a, a second phase of his career, if you like. Stopped Ryan Crawford. I think he probably won every second of every round almost. Crawford uh, has massive like swinging balls on him, man, because he can stand there and take punches but he just, he wasn't of the same class as Wheeler Wheeler's uh, improving as a technician with every fight almost despite he's kind of uh, early 30s I think he is now lovely lovely man Carl Wheeler lovely kids lovely wife um, just massive respect to Carl because he's done it the hard way and he continues to do it the hard way he could have boxed last night and just boxed his way through 10 rounds instead he stood and had a fight when he <laughs> I sat next to his corner Stephen Whitwell in his corner um telling him not to get involved like he was, but he just ignored him throughout and just got into a tear-up. And, uh, yeah, it's good night. Good good lad. Yeah, 16 fights and uh, from 3 o'clock until 10 o'clock, half 10, something like that. Eyes was, burning at the end of it. Yeah, so, and that is a good day, all in all. Uh, good end to you. I have a question. If you were uh, a young boxer, right, I appreciate this isn't something you can choose, but is there an advantage to be gained at being at a certain weight naturally because you could go up and down certain weight classes in order to... Do you know what I mean? Do you mean which weight classes? Well, if you're a naturally heavy, light uh, light heavyweight, for example, the best you could do is maybe go up to cruiserweight. You wouldn't be able to necessarily... So Josh Kennedy's gone from Bantam up to featherweight and he's, he's achieved a goal and then being able to drop back down again. If you... If you're in other weight divisions, can you do that just as easily? Is it is it, is it something for everyone? Is it is it an advantage to be gained by being at a certain weight class? Not necessarily. It's probably a disadvantage to be lighter because, well, actually, there's two different ends of the spectrum where it's a disadvantage almost. Heavyweight and the lower weights in general, like super bantam, featherweight, because there just aren't that many people around. Um, I think Terry put it very well before that um, boxing is very well defined by, like, you can put it into three categories. So something like lightweight is people smaller than me, 
middleweight is people about my size, heavyweight is people bigger than me. <laughs> like, in a nutshell, that kind of rounds it up. Yeah, no. So, <laughs> good, those in the middle grounds, there's quite a lot, you know, the human population has a lot of people around the middle, super middle, kind of light heavy um, categories. But, like, heavyweights, it's so hard to get heavyweights. There's a guy out last night, David Abraham. Um, it's very difficult to match people at area level uh, for heavyweights, apart from getting people in from overseas, who are always a bit of a risk. But down at the bottom end, so Josh Kennedy, moving around between super bantamweight and featherweight, isn't it an ideal career path? You have to do it out of necessity, almost, to get the opportunities, because there aren't that many people around those weights that you can fight when you're restricted to kind of area level at the moment as well, you haven't even got the whole of the country to be looking at. Although you could, in theory, there's nothing to stop you. But, you know, ideally, in the first 10 fights or whatever, you keep it within your area. Um, so, yeah, it's it's almost a disadvantage to be that small because your opportunities are fairly limited. Uh, and with, with boxing, in general, do you feel like, given the politics and the what we've covered before in boxing do you think that cream always rises to the top i.e if you're good enough will you eventually be in a position to prove you're good enough with titles and no no not at all um i spoke somebody that's very very well respected within boxing told me once about um i won't tell you who it is but he said it's basically the only sport whereby you can become a professional by filling in a piece of paper. Um, and it's true. Like, you've got to pass a, a very rudimental board test to check that you can box, which involves somebody coming along watching a sparring session and ticking a box. They very rarely turn anybody down. Um, but as this person I was alluding to earlier said, essentially, if you can sell a lot of tickets early on in your career, you can get opportunities for yourself. If you can't, if you haven't come off the Olympic squad, say you were in the England squad, not the GB squad, so you never quite made it to that elite level, you fall out of that system, you turn pro, you haven't got that big backing of a Hearn, a Warren, etc. You have to be reliant upon selling tickets. If you can't sell a ticket, it doesn't matter how good you are at that low level because you're no good to a promoter. The promoters are making their money out of um, being able to sell tickets. If you can sell... 300 tickets for each of your fights it doesn't matter how good you are because they'll find you people to feed to for a little while whilst they can you know keep that money train going a little bit but on the other end of the spectrum if you had Lionel put it this way if Lionel Messi think of it in footballing terms if if Lionel Messi didn't have a hundred friends to attend each of his Barcelona youth games and therefore they wouldn't sign him up you'd have missed Lionel Messi as a footballer but if his shit mate could sell 500 tickets to a game, then Lionel Messi's shipmate would have made so, it through so the Barcelona be- Academy. It's better to be average and popular than good and... Being good and popular is the, well, the yeah, ideal... Like clearly. someone like Brad Pauls, who we mentioned earlier, he can sell big numbers of tickets, um, which is advantageous to any promoter. He's a good-looking lad, he can speak well, and he can fight. Like, that makes a difference. The fact that you can fight, the fact you're heavy-handed, you can knock people out... He will get opportunities. He's still only young. But that's almost like the ideal scenario for a small hall promoter is that you get somebody young, marketable, um, can fight and shift tickets. Like That's that's the, uh, the utopian boxer. Yeah, the holy grail. Right, let's preview next weekend then. Uh, I suppose the best place to start would be Parker Ruiz. Um, 
How do you see this going? Well, it's it's a great fight, isn't it? Really, it's <clears throat> we criticise the heavyweight division. We criticise with um, good reason, most of us. Yeah, time. yeah. We criticise Belen coming up to fight Hay. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of things to criticise about. Oh, I've it. got to talk about that press conference. Oh, we will. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I think there's a question about it. We're all right. Um, but in the meantime, Parker versus Ruiz is going to be happening over in New Zealand Saturday morning. So your Saturday's nicely bookended by boxing in the morning, boxing in the evening, um, and it's a really, really good fight. Neither man has been tested significantly through their career. Um, uh, Parker more so than Ruiz. Ruiz doesn't look like a boxer. He looks like a kebab van worker. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if it starts going late. But he's he's a big puncher. Joseph Parker's a decent puncher. You know, the Carlos Takam fight, you showed he can box as well. I'm thinking about this bloke who's walking out of a kebab van punching people. <laughs> ah, bloody for the fight, man. With one of those hair nets on. <laughs> Mexican kebab van worker. That's how, he turns up. That's how he turns up to the ring. Beep, beep. Like backing up to you know how George Groves came down in that big red bus at Wembley? Yeah. Comes out of a spatula in the hair net. <laughs> There's chilli sauce in the corner. And a stained apron. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, so Andy Ruiz, I don't see, I don't see Andy Ruiz winning it. I think Joseph Parker has a nice um, ability to mix power and boxing. Um, I know Terry isn't overly sold on Parker, so I I don't actually know what his his, uh, guess for this is. I think we'll see a Parker points victory. Mainly because I, I don't know what engine Andy Ruiz is going to have to go all the way through. And I don't think Parker's going to have the power to stop him. So I can see it going the full 12 rounds. It's in New Zealand. I think Parker can probably be the busier of the two fighters. I can see him coming away with the WBO world title, getting himself in the mix. Um, you know, David Hay is going to be in line to fight him for it. Huey Fury's called for the winner of the fight. There's Anthony Joshua out there as well, who's clearly going to want a piece of it. Um, so yeah, at least it's going to add a little bit of stability to the heavyweight division because we're going to have another champion in place. You know, one of those floating belts is going to be taken up, uh, which is what we've kind of been criticizing forever long. So you know, get up, watch it Saturday morning, uh, get yourself ready for the, uh, the Joshua fight Saturday evening. Sounds good. Um, okay. Up in Manchester, we have Burton versus Buglioni. Right, Josea Burton uh, versus Frank Frank Buglioni, uh, wise guy. It's British light heavyweight title fight. From what I understand, it's not going to be on the Sky broadcast. Which, if that's the case, then Sky can go and fuck themselves because it's probably the best fight on the card. Um, it's a proper close fight. I think it was one all in the amateurs between the two of them. Buglioni is, you know, he's fought at a higher level than um, Hosea Burton. Hosea Burton is far less tested than Buglioni. You can say Buglioni's lost the test that he's had, which is a fair enough point. Um, it's his first major fight up at light heavyweight for Buglioni, so, you know, it's probably a more natural weight for him. He is a heavily set guy, big guy. Um, I'd say it's probably the best fight on the card all night. I personally think, I think Buglioni will win, and it wouldn't surprise me if he stopped him either. Right, Yafai versus Conception. Uh, interesting name. It is, especially this time of year. Um, you know, Mary never got touched up, did she? So, 
holy <laughs> most kids immaculate conception as it most statistically most pregnancies like there's more children born around september time aren't there office parties getting it funky they're getting it funky in the toilets at the <laughs> office party uh, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, anyway. Anyway, yeah, immaculate conceptions. Conception. How many times is immaculate conception going to be used if conception wins us? <laughs> that was immaculate conception. Come regardless, on. regardless of the like anything else, that should be the headlines the next day in the yeah. newspaper. Well, given that Sky apologised the moment somebody swears. Uh, I saw you have a rant about this the other day. It just winds me up. I'm watching, like, e- even if I was watching, even if I'm watching before Watershed, but, like, for argument's sake, we'll go after Watershed just because it's an easier fight 10 to Ten o'clock. Why, when somebody goes, get the fuck out there and knock his head off, excuse me, I uh, just uh, want to apologise for that. I'm watching two men fight at 10 o'clock at night if you're precious about swearing, then fucking go and get a life. Why is Sky worrying about that? It just annoys me. Then you flick over, you could literally flick one channel away, and then uh, you've got like Bruce Willis going, Oh, you fucking dirtbag. Yeah, if you're really unlucky, you get one of those women laying around on a bed with a phone in her hand that you can ring up for £1.50. I mean, that's if you press the wrong 906 <laughs> buttons or whatever. Um, yeah, you're, um, you've had loads of problems with that, haven't you? I, uh, yeah, 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 it's The phone accidentally dials them for two send- hours every Saturday night. <laughs> keep sending my remote back to Sky. It's broken. <laughs> um... Anyway, I suppose you anyway, talk about uh, your fight conception. conception. I don't care about it really. If I'm honest, it's a world <laughs> title fight. Uh, I, I I can't get that excited about that that weight division. Um, I see a lot of people backing your five for it. I don't know enough about conception other than he's been in with some hard <laughs> hard bouts in the past. That's just simply not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I I was always surprised when. Um, Charlie Edwards was put in for his world title fight fairly early on in his career, and I thought Sky, or more to the point, Hearn, would probably have it for a reason. That reason being that they, you know, they'd seen a weakness and they thought that Edwards could do it. This is a bit different in that Yafai has gone through the levels a little bit more and is in a better position experience wise to be able to take this fight. What I've seen of Yafai over the time I've seen him on Sky and whatever. He's a fairly good fighter. I don't think he's world class, but we'll find out Saturday night. As I said, I don't really know enough about it, if I'm perfectly honest. Okay, a fight you will know a bit more about is Alan Ortiz. Um, so yeah, going on from what we spoke about with David Allen earlier, how do you see this going? Um, I'm a realist. <laughs> it's difficult. Heart versus head time. Really, yeah, it? it is absolutely. You know. <laughs> I hope, I hope beyond hope that David Allen comes out of this with his hand raised. I'm a realist. I think it's going to be so difficult for a man who's had, as he said, you know, 10 amateur fights or whatever, and a handful of pros to beat a man who's so renowned. He's had 300 plus amateur fights or tees. He's, you know, done good things as a pro, fought at a high level. All that said, he was pretty bang average against Malik Scott. Um, there's, you know, he looked like he'd aged. Quite what age that is, I don't know, unless we cut him apart and count the rings in the middle of him. Um, so, does, does David Allen punch hard enough to give himself a one punch, you know, the puncher's chance in the fight? It's pretty hard. By his own, his own admission, he said that that's not what he's about, yeah. isn't it? I think, look, if David Allen comes out of this with his head held high, maybe not his hand, um, then he can be pleased with that. I hope it opens up more doors for him. I just, I, I can't see how he wins it. Let's be honest about it. 
I love Dave Allen to bits. Um, thank you for his time. Uh, but I'm just struggling to see how he comes out of this with the win. I can see him taking it the distance. It's an eight-rounder. I can see him lasting eight rounds with him. And I think maybe picking up one or two rounds along the way and not disgracing himself and doing a, a good job for himself. And again, raising that profile to the Sky fans and you know, get somebody like Hearn or get someone like Warren to get behind him and actually get him the progressive fights that he requires, not the fights with people who should be fighting Anthony Joshua. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that. Uh, speaking of which, he's taken on Molina. And as you said before, really the fight that we would like to see take with David Allen, but also Ortiz versus AJ. Yeah, but, the permutations are wrong. Yeah, let's, let's so let's talk about AJ's walkover. I mean, fight with Molina. <laughs> Um, why? Why should we bother? AJ wins. Next. (laughs) Okay. What round? Four. Five. I don't know. I think as a fan who's going to stream it, the best you can hope for is that Molina lasts half the fight. Molina lasts past the sixth, and at least he's given him a few rounds. People are going to hang, and Sky will hang this entire sale process on the left hook that Molina threw against um, Deontay Wilder. But that's not enough. That's not enough to give him a win here. There, as as limited as Joshua is with his jab backhand, he's still going to have far too much for an even more limited Molina. No doubt about it. Okay, the one thing that puzzles me is that they are they do, are seeming to hang the AJ Molina uh, fight as the sort of main main event. But you've got a perfectly good fight in White Chisora, which seems like a far more even matchup, one that I'm most looking forward to watching. How do you see that going? I don't know. And why are they not hanging their fight on, their night on that? You know, they're both high-profile fighters as well. Like the pro is AJ, isn't it? Like yeah. AJ is the selling point to all this, irrespective of who stood in the other corner. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's stupid, really, isn't it? Anthony Joshua has the second easiest fight on this heavyweight, you know, six heavyweights out there. He's got the second easiest out of all. Molina should be in with Dave Allen to build his profile over here to fight Joshua next year, but they fucked it up somewhat, let's be honest. Um, It is a great fight. (laughs) They're probably, you know, White isn't always that exciting as a heavyweight. Chisora is just the unknown. So if the same Chisora turns up Arguably that fought Pulev, um, certainly that fought Klitschko, certainly that fought Hay, then Chisora will win this fight. Like, make no mistake about it, he will win this fight if he turns up with that same mentality, that same fitness, the same strength. He's back with Don Charles in his corner now. Dillian White would not cope with that, in my view. I think Chisora would probably stop him. If he turns up as the... <laughs> the interim Derek Chisora, the the part of Derek Chisora that went through the wilderness for a couple of years, um, then I think Dillian White will beat him and he should, in theory, be able to box him. And actually, we saw what Tyson Fury did to Chisora in the second fight, which was box him and just break his heart over the course of 12 yeah, rounds. That was painful to watch, wasn't it? That man? is what Dillian White should be able to do in this fight. Um, if Dillian White boxes as well as he he can and he's shown in the past use that jab use those uppercuts when Chisora comes in then Dillian White wins this fight 
But it depends on what Derek Chisora is in the opposite corner. Um, what has Derek Chisora got to win out of this? So if he does win, where does he go? Okay, so it's a WBC eliminator. We mentioned it last yeah, week. It's yeah, not, not the, like final. the eliminator, so eliminator, it, eliminator. It puts him on the path to Deontay Wilder. Um, it gives him the British title. There's still there's gravitas in holding that British title in the heavyweight scene. Um, Do either of them stand a good chance against Wilder? <laughs> Again, it goes back to what Chisora we're looking at. <sighs> I, I don't know. I would struggle to see how either of them beat Wilder. Um, if if you had to pick a peak one out of the two, like if you had to pick peak White or peak Chisora, you'd pick peak Chisora and give him a reasonable chance. Again, like if he turned up in the shape and the, the attitude that he fought Klitschko with, then he could beat Wilder like that. It was like a that. long time ago. Though, but it's a it? long time ago. Has he still got that in his pocket? The Pulev performance was okay, but he's not going to beat uh, Wilder with that he could beat White with that do we know who the winner might take on in this Eliminator for the Eliminator for the Eliminator uh, before Wilder who knows really like Chisora's almost turned into a bit of a, a road warrior himself another Sowellan fight I forgot to mention him earlier out of the Sowellan crop you know he's been off fighting in Sweden in Germany um will Sowellan invest in him and try and get him a world title shot in England fuck all chance <laughs> Absolutely fuck all chance because they're not putting the money into these fighters. What they're doing is they're signing them to promotional contracts and then letting them fight on other people's shows. Certainly the British side of it plus commie. Um, you know, they're not putting the money in. So they will... If Derek Chisora wins this, his next fight will be possibly in Britain, maybe Joshua. It wouldn't surprise me if he beats Dillian White if he gets Joshua next year. Okay, um, you um want to talk about? I'm not going to see you thunder. You want to talk about Scott Quigg? Yeah, no, he's just a fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he's coming up to featherweight for a fight against someone. I looked at it on Boxrec the other day. I've no idea who he was. They were talking about it was going to be returning against a kind of world class opponent. It isn't Scott Quigg. I'm sure like Sky have probably got their rhetoric lined up already for Scott Quigg's opponent about how he's fought a world level etc etc dangerous yeah Scott Quigg needs to finish this quick he's got and a early. dangerous left ear if he catches Scott Quigg with that I don't know why they're so bothered about him returning they're making a big deal out of it that he's coming back after this long layoff with a broken jaw he doesn't sell a ticket he doesn't sell a ticket in Bury in Manchester he doesn't sell tickets anywhere because he's not exciting and he's not interesting outside of the ring there is nothing about Scott Quigg that makes me think I want to go and watch Scott Quigg fight nothing whatsoever <laughs> unless he's fighting Carl Frampton yeah yeah unless the <laughs> opponent is somebody that I care about I don't care about Scott Quigg fights so I really don't get the Sky bandwagon behind him all that I can hope is that jaw isn't fully fixed and he gets flattened in a, a couple of rounds. <laughs> I hope it's like hanging off halfway through the first round because that'd fucking give me a boner at home. It's something like Jack Skellington or something as we come to Christmas. Like some weird. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd be all up for that. I want to see jaw hanging off after two rounds. <laughs> right, that's our previews lined up and done and dusted and knocked on the head. So I guess we talk questions. Listener questions. Gary LDN at Gary LDN on Twitter asks, should we forgive Hay for his past pullouts and toe shenanigans, etc. I'd like to add in there. <laughs> now he's declared war on Hearn. Now, I, he actually redeemed a lot of himself in my eyes from this press conference. I love the way he attacked Hearn. And I, like, I'm just going to say now, I don't think that it was 
um, something that they planned or was showmanship or anything. I think it was genuine, genuine, sorry, you might call it bitterness, but it was hatred. I really think he hates her. <laughs> and I think all that hate is going to unfurl into Bellew's face. <laughs> <laughs> There's an underlying issue in there between McGuigan, uh, Shane McGuigan and Eddie Hearn. So Shane McGuigan that coached Frampton against Quigg. Shane McGuigan that is going to be in David Hay's corner. Uh, David Hay, you know, has his own promotional aspirations uh, as much as anything else. There's clearly been some back and forth about the promotional side of this event. Um, and at the conference as well. He said, I'm conference. more of a promoter than you on point. Yeah, yeah. What, what? Is there, is there like... Can you find any legitimacy yes. in that? Right, okay. Yes. So he why- sold out the O2 twice this year on his own, David Hay. Twice in 2016 against people you've never <laughs> fucking heard of. Like, if that yeah, isn't promoting, true, yeah. I don't know what is. Like, granted, <laughs> a lot of those tickets may have been complimentaries, etc., etc. He filled the O2. Well, then Hearn said that he was giving away tickets outside the stadium, didn't he? Well... Eddie Hearn would know an awful lot about that. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> right, okay. So, yeah. So, um, you had Hay verbally trying to take off his head and, and Bell use. Yeah. Um, it was it was nice. <laughs> yeah. It was I, nice. I genuinely enjoyed listening to the whole the whole thing. What um, Hay said is he's going to finish off Bellew, and then once he's finished off Bellew, he wants to finish off Joshua, and then take Matchroom apart. So... I don't know whether we're going to see him down at featherweight against Scott Quigg in 2017. Whether he's going to work from the bottom weights up and start to dismantle. I think once Matchroom are worrying about using Scott Quigg as their pin-up boy, I think that's when <laughs> that's when he doesn't need to worry about trying to take him apart. Well, I suggest we ought to have um, McGuigan's gym versus Matchroom because there's clearly underlying issues. Let's do it Survivor Series style. <laughs> Let's have like Hey Joshua, Josh Taylor, Ahara Davis, George Groves, Callum Smith. Um, Cummings versus John Ryder. Uh, there were a couple of others I can't remember off the top of my head who we were talking about. But yeah, let's throw it out there. Let's uh, oh Frampton versus Quig. Let's do that again. McGuigan seems to come off better, I think, on these. McGuigan wins that. Yeah, he, yeah, he goes home with a belt. <laughs> um, but yeah, should ends we, boxing. <laughs> should we forgive David Hay for his past uh, indiscretions and things in the sport because of what he's done to Hearn? I'm all for it. Yeah, he gets a clean slate with me on the back of that. Well, if I had to choose between liking Hay or Hearn, I'd, I'd certainly sway towards Hay. There's still definitely. something likeable about Hay. Like, as much as there's awful lot of stuff about his comeback and what have you, which has been fairly dislikable, he's still got a personality about him that you can warm to when you're watching him in interviews yeah, well, and press conferences. It's just, the thing is, when he's on the back foot, he, become, he, he almost looks, he sounds endearing when he talks. He talks the truth and, he see, and he's happy to take on the fight. It's just that when he's on top, when he is world champion, that's when the hubris sets in and he starts appearing on stupid celebrity programs. You just think... You're making yourself he still a clown does, He now. still does that when he's at the bottom. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> he's just got this habit out. of shooting him, making himself look silly, and that's what I think people just roll their eyes about him. Yeah. Well, gee, I wonder what Terry thinks. What would Terry think about, about this? Hay and Hearn? Terry, you're in the room with us. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> huh, first rant of the day. Um, David Hay talking about Eddie Hearn. I think what David realises is Matchroom's on a is in a precarious position. It is not quite a house of cards, but very close to being so. Because if we really think about what Matchroom has, it has two things. 
it has a contract with Sky that runs through till 2021 or 2020. Never really know the exact date. And then they have a number of fighters. Now, the fighters who fight on their shows and the fighters, they have control over two separate things. Prime example, Lee Selby. Lee Selby signed to Al Heyman. But for the right fight, and if Eddie Hearn can offer Lee Selby the right kind of money, Lee Selby will box on a matchroom show. But Eddie Hearn can't force him to do so. Eddie Hearn can't force James DeGale to box on a matchroom show. I think they have one fight left in their contract and Eddie knows he can't piss off Al Heyman for a number of reasons, but mainly Al Heyman's most influential man in boxing right now. So all it would take is for someone to have a big enough war chest to say, don't fight on Sky, don't fight for Matchroom, fight on BT Sport, fight on ITV, fight on Channel 5 for this much money. And all of a sudden, Eddie Hearn is struggling because his whole thing was... We're the only people showing boxing on an accessible platform. Um, BT Sport will become more accessible. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when that competition heats up. But what we're seeing very quickly is Eddie Hearn has very little influence over his fighters. And, you know, in the AJ situation, he'll do anything to keep hold of AJ. Because without AJ, there is no matchroom. And David Hay knows that. He knows how shaky the ground is, which is why he wants that fight with AJ to finally end the matchroom nonsense. Great points, Terry. Um, What would you say Eddie Hearn is the promotional equivalent of? Is he the equivalent of Ben Doughty? <laughs> Maybe Eddie Hearn is the promotional equivalent of Ben Doughty. You know, he's feeding his boxers third, fourth, fifth-rate fighters. But the problem with that is there's only so many you can go to before you start recycling. And we're starting to see him recycle these guys, you know, because... Everyone's figured out what the Hearn game is, so they delay title shots, and they definitely delay world title shots, and, you know, forcing his hand so he has to come to the table. Because if you look at Callum Smith, for example, all he's wanted to do is fight Badu Jack before that was George Groves. He might even end up having to just box his brother at super middleweight to get a fight because Eddie's going to run out of supposedly credible opponents to fight him. It's painful to watch, and it feels like a massive pyramid scheme where... You feed, you feed these guys to your boxers, the fans lap it up, but eventually they're like, well, why isn't he fighting for a world title? Why is this guy not fighting for a world title? It's, it's getting embarrassing. And I'm glad David Hayes called Eddie Hearn out on a lot of things because someone needs to start shaking at this matchroom tree and see what falls out because it can't be as pretty and as pristine as Eddie makes out because it doesn't make any sense. It would defy all logic. If he was that powerful in boxing and he could generate what he supposedly generates, why are the matching revenue figures so low across all sports? Cheers, Terry. Right, we've got a question from Sam Khan, uh, which is, with Warrington switching to Warren, Hayes' accusations of Eddie Hearn's show and Warren and Don King's spotty and time criminal records is a shady promoter necessary for a boxer's success. I think we pretty much, yeah, that's it. So. All right, so yeah, it's an interesting one. Josh Warrington switching to Frank Warren isn't official, but it's very, very heavily rumoured. This week, uh, Frank Warren has signed Tyrone Nurse, a British um, light welterweight champion. 
He's also very heavily rumoured to be signing Kid Galahad. The link to all of those is Yorkshire. So Dave Allen, you know, maybe there is the hope you're Doncaster based. Uh, you know, get yourself in on that mix. Does it? Uh, is it necessary to have a shady promoter? Uh, sorry, what's the question? Is it necessary to be what, shady yeah, to be given the successful? Examples of what we've got, is it? Is it? Don King is different levels of shady to Eddie Hearn. Like, yeah, I mean that is to, journeyman to, 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 to world champion. Together, yeah, um, you know, Don King still to this day is knocking about somehow under the Bermain Stiverne, um umbrella of dodginess. So, is it necessary to be shady? I think it's necessary to be able to lie convincingly. I think that's probably probably under oath as well as anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think there is a requirement to be able to... Feed people shit as well. Yeah, extrapolate the truth somewhat. Um, yeah, I think there has to be an element of it. The dodgy car salesman mm. side of it is always going to be there in boxing. And you can read the car salesman metaphor in... Extreme detail. Oh, I wrote that very hungover, yeah. That's, uh, In that's a hungover fun. edition of Martin's Writing. It's on my website. So check it out. Shaz Chowdhury asks, How detrimental are points decisions in fights and and the adverse external influences on results? Uh, you need to expand on this for me. What's he asking? Right, shout out to Shaz. Um, saw him last night down at York Hall. As always, one of the most handsome men hanging around at York Hall. Looking good. Um, so how detrimental points decisions in fights and, uh, the adverse external influence. So, I mean, let's take the Richard Commie fight from Friday, which is probably what Shaz is alluding to somewhat. Look, a points decision that nobody's going to go home happy with unless you're Russian. Um, external influences on results. Where was the fight taking place in Russia under the Russian team's promotional banner? Um, Essentially, is there a better way of deciding it than allowing it to go to points? Look, what could you do? Let it go on for 40 rounds until one knocks the other one out? You don't really want to be seeing that. You tried that, didn't you, 100 years ago? (laughs) Yes, you don't really want to be seeing that. There is, you know, it's the penalty shootout, isn't it, almost, of um, boxing, is that you're putting your faith in somebody else's hands. There is, undoubtedly, there's always going to be elements of corruption, but there's also, you know, it raises so many questions. The Ward Kovalev example as well. People who've got different opinions. So people, some people are still so fundamentally, like diametrically opposed to the idea that Andre Ward could have possibly won that fight. That like so blinded by any, um, any ability of Andre Ward to have won that fight, and they will argue it tooth and nail, and they argue it on Twitter still, and I cannot be asked. So like anybody that argues that, like you just get radio silence from me. But you know, it, it's hard. Points decisions are always going to be there because that's the best way to settle it at the end of the day. But the external influences upon it, they've tried stuff like um, noise cancelling headphones. Um, they've tried open scoring. So uh, in some of the big world title fights, they've shown what the scores are after, is it three or four rounds? And then I think six rounds and nine rounds. Um, so that the fighters have an idea whether they should step up or not. And so the idea of that is that if you're four rounds behind with three rounds to go, is that you know you've got to knock the guy out or knock the guy down a couple of times. So they've tried these things. They've tried to. It's a bit like the golden goal rule, isn't it? Essentially, again going back to the football analogy, they try these things. They don't really take off, and so you go back to what everybody's comfortable with. Yeah, at what point do I mean, you look at all kinds of um, sports now and they're introducing technology. Would it ever be, could you ever have, um, say, 
judges that were somewhere else watching it on silent or possibly you know, like TMOs. For, like you could have th- three judges ringside. You could have three judges. Um, and then like a master judge. Or How even... big's a budget, I suppose, is what it comes yeah. to. All these people cost. Yeah. The idea is they have three judges on different sides of the ring so that they're able to see the fight from different angles and perspectives. Ultimately, you know, you, you can bring technology in, but even the punch stats, the you know, again, the analogy of football, like the equivalent of the Optus stats, they're so subjective. It's down to one person pressing the button when they think somebody has landed a clean punch. Somebody from a different angle may not think that punch was clean. So those punch stats are never going to be 100% accurate to everybody's liking. Again, it just it, it means that we fall back to what we're comfortable with, which is just the points way of scoring. Okay, Alex Kingsley, A Kingsley 90 uh, on Twitter. Hey said he wanted to sign a load of boxes and end Matroom. Is Matroom built on a house of cards with AJ's chin? Um, who would you sign to take out Matroom? It's a great question. I mean, Terry's alluded to it earlier about um, AJ's chin and Matchroom being held together by it. Um, is it being held together? Um, give and take, yes. I mean, that's their main income. St- I don't know how... If he, get, if he became irrelevant tomorrow, it would seriously damage them. If it? he gets wiped out by Molina on Saturday Oof, yeah. and they don't have that world title to hang around him, then they have big problems in 2017 yeah. because Brooke has lost that um, well, you'd still get a hay fight out of Joshua, wouldn't you? You would, but there's no world title involved. Yeah. So you need a world title yeah. to really make it that next level super British fight. Um, you know, who are the other main... They'd suddenly have to start rushing some of these people they're holding back, the likes of Callum Smith. They'd have to start actually moving them into these world title fights against the likes of DeGale. Um There are no headline names underneath... Um, underneath Joshua at the moment and it's a struggle for them so they've got to find a way to be able to to back it up somehow for the day that Joshua hopefully inevitably gets chinned who would I sign um Josh Taylor would be one that I'd go straight after because that lad has class he's exciting uh and I'd sign him to probably take out Ahara Davis you know you build Ahara Davis up right now and then if you could sign Josh Taylor and build those two into a big fight you legitimize Josh Taylor um, if he beats him, and if not, you know you legitimise Ahara Davis for all those that are hot on on Josh Taylor. Uh, it works either way, really. You have a bigger name at the end of it. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, David McGinley asks: Does Molina have any kind of punches chance against AJ? Nope. <laughs> Again, we said it earlier. They're going to hold it on that left hook. Uh, he also asks: um, If Billy Joe Saunders was to leave Tibbs, his trainer or his coach, um, who would be best to replace him? Uh, I think he shouldn't leave Tibbs would be the, the natural answer, but taking that you know, question as it is, he needs somebody who's going to discipline him. And I know that's very difficult because the lifestyle that he leads outside of the ring, and he you know, put it in a Coogan Cassius interview the other day, if I want a McDonald's when I'm not in camp, why shouldn't I have a McDonald's? And it's, it's a fair point, you know, leave the man be. Somebody like a Joe Gallagher, somebody that could just instill that fitness, he's got the natural ability, he needs that fitness and that discipline to be instilled into him. Somebody like Joe Gallagher, we see what he does with all of his northern fighters, he drills them to the ground, they're super fit, they're super tough. Um, Somebody like that, add that into the mix of the the natural talent of a Billy Joe Saunders and you'd have quite a, a decent setup. And David McGinley finally asks, if AJ had progressed the way he should have for his development, who would you have had him fight since Martin? 
Uh, I think probably we should pass that over to uh, to Terry. That's a great Terry opportunity. Right. So, Terry, um, how would you respond to David McGinley's question? In response to Dave McGinley's question around AJ and who he should be fighting, to be honest, AJ should be fighting Eric Molina at this stage in his career. What he shouldn't be is world champion. Let's be absolutely clear about that. Probably the, you know, I'd do anything to make sure Glasgow's ankle was fine because had he won that fight, I don't think Joshua would have gone for that belt. Um, had they just not stripped Fury, then I think heavyweight boxing would be in a far better state than it is right now. I think we're back to the stage of it being a joke and promoters hanging on to belts for dear life because they're trying to milk it for all it's worth. And as we say many times, then the fans just buy into it and they lap this up. Joshua should be fighting Molina. He should be fighting guys like Chisora. He should be fighting guys like Adamek because he's a relative novice in the sport. Well, he shouldn't be his world champion because he hasn't legitimized the belt and he hasn't won the belt from a legitimate champion. So this myth that he's a legit world champion is just Eddie Hearn trying to sell the only asset he has that generates any meaningful money. You know, it's AJ, it's Kel Brook, uh, one of the Smith brothers, take your pick. And then you're really struggling. Yeah, for what it's worth, like I completely. When I read the question from David McGinley, that was the answer that went through my head. Is what Terry has just uh, given us in the yeah, it's it's the right stage. It's the wrong platform and sales platform. Okay, fair enough. Um, Terry actually sent us in a question and asked, "Why is McCracken pretending that he only met AJ yesterday? What's that about?" <laughs> so they've announced this week that. Um, Rob McCracken is now going to be in the corner of Anthony Joshua, which seems like a really big change. Going into your world title fight a week and a bit's notice, you're changing from um, Tony Sims to having Rob McCracken. It's the worst kept secret in boxing that Rob McCracken has been training Anthony Joshua for however long. Uh, it's just Tony Sims seems to like meet him off the train on a Friday and then turn up for him in his corner on a Saturday and then and then he goes back to Rob McCracken straight after. Um, so yeah, why are they pretending like they've never met before is very, very true. Um, and it, it's tragic. It's just another, like, come out and tell the truth about it. Don't build a cover story where you don't need one. Um, he also asks, what's happened to Mickey Hellier? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's an odd one really, isn't it? Um, he keeps talking about having new sponsorships, new TV deals, I don't know. He mentioned something the other day I saw in a tweet about Channel 4 boxing, which I know that occasionally, like, 1 o'clock in the morning stuff on Channel 4, they show some of his fights. I don't know. Um, not a clue, if I'm perfectly honest. I don't have an awful lot to do with Mickey. I wish him all the best. But, uh, yeah, he seems to have gone off the boil a little bit in terms of uh, small hall shows down in uh, in London, and Dove Box promotions have, have come along and started to fill a bit of a void that has been left by uh, Elliot. So it's interesting times. Followed swiftly by another question, uh, Goodwin versus Hellier, are we looking at Promoter War 2017? Well, quite possibly. As I say, there's uh, Dovebox promotion, so Tommy Dove, who's got a few fighters on there, such as Dominic Akinlade, Ian Lewison is actually a Dovebox fighter, uh, a few others. And, yeah, it's it's a very saturated marketplace down at York Hall, so you've got Goodwin that runs shows out of there, you've got... Uh, Dovebox, you've got Mickey Helliot, so there's quite a squeeze going on. There's not a everlasting marketplace of people that are going to come and watch fights down there, so they've all got to up their game. 
Um, they've all possibly got to work together or they've got to work better in isolation to become the best. Because, as I say, it's a very saturated market. Throw in the fact that MGM have announced that they're launching their London uh, promotional outfit. They've been running stuff in Birmingham, in Manchester, in Scotland. They're going to start off in uh, London in 2017. I think is going to be uh, headed by Tommy Martin, the lad who recently retired from complications to a brain injury. Um, so that's great for Tommy Martin that he's getting the opportunity to do the business side of stuff with MGM down there. So it's going to be an interest in 2017. As I say there's not a, uh indefinite number of people that are going to pay £35 for a ticket to turn up to these, these shows. Uh, I know it's mainly based around friends and family and that, but you know a lot of these people, don't forget, are going to be the where they are boxers and their workers. They don't have huge social circles, and a lot of their social circles will revolve around boxing gyms and things like that. So the people that are buying tickets are kind of crossing over with other people that might be boxing on other shows. There's going to be a squeeze put on whether we'll see different pricing models, whether we'll see uh, people up their game, or whether we'll see people drop out of it. Who knows? It's going to be interesting. Uh, finally, why has British boxing ignored Ola Afalabi for so long? <laughs> Terry knows why, man. It's because he's too successful, he's too dangerous, um, and yeah, he's uh, a big up Ola. I think he's probably... I think he said he may not be stepping back into a ring again, but I hope he does. But yeah, he's uh, he was too good for his own good and didn't have the backing of the, the boxing machines we've said about before. Okay, we're about to wrap up then. So um, I guess it's time for your... Well, the only one Argue the Unarguable we have. We've had one submitted. We have had one submitted from Adernery's DMT. Um, oh, fuck's sake, I've mouse his name. So, we've come to that point in the show where we have Argue the Inarguable. Um, Aiden Ares, DMT. Uh, big shout out to this dude, uh, Aiden Ares. He was the guy well, that's virtually single-handedly saved Argue the Inarguable. Um, yeah, cheers, mate. But, he did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, it's, it seems like it's a feature that people seem to enjoy. So Apart from us. Apart from you and Terry. Terry's bailed out this week. That's not quite true. But he would have turned up if he weren't doing it. But Terry, uh, you going to do argue the argument this week? Silence. The one time. <laughs> bottled one it. T- yeah, he's bottled it. He's ducking us. <laughs> okay, so here we go. He asks, when a fight gets to a controversial decision, should boxers be ruled like footballers and have recurring penalties instead of hitting the ball in front of a goalkeeper each boxer hits or slaps the other one until one of them is knocked down (laughs) (laughs) thanks let's go yeah no I think in an era where we're worrying about the health of fighters because we're getting more and more um, significant problems that seem to be happening in rings and we're starting to tighten up a lot of, uh, you know, a couple of stoppages I saw last night that were probably a little bit premature. I think, you know, those premature stoppages wouldn't be such an issue if you knew that that fight could get through to the end of the fight. Don't have to worry about points. And instead, like, don't worry about their chin during the fight because you can wipe your hands of it. You can brush your shoulder off at that point. It's not your issue. Just let them bash it out. Sign a waiver just so they're about to do it. Like, get a paw print off the glove or whatever. Get them in there. Just tee off on each other. <laughs> First man down loses. End of. We'll see knockouts every fight. Then, everyone is guaranteed a stoppage victory. It's a, it's a tremendous idea. <laughs> Fans want to see brain injuries. I've always said that. <laughs> it's one of the big selling that, points. That is what people want to see. I go to check out the stand of the stretcher at any event that I'm at. As, I mean, 
if you're not seeing someone fall over and be in serious medical in need of medical treatment, then you're leaving after the first couple of fights, yeah. really. And also, I mean, don't forget those paramedics aren't cheap, so you might as well make them earn their money off the back of it. Apparently, this is what we do want, and that's why Hearn is organising these fights with AJ. <laughs> <laughs> Just yes. people who, like Charles Martin, cannot look after himself. <laughs> um, right, I guess that takes us to the end of the pod. Bit of a patchwork. But uh, I hope you've all enjoyed it. And uh, all that's left to say is... Oh, get in touch. Give us some questions. Give us some arguing arguables. You're always great. But uh, I'm going to ask you for some more. At New Age Boxing UK. At Seven Walls. At New Age Podfather. But don't bother doing that because he won't reply to you. You can add me in, but don't send it to me You don't even read them. Don't bother adding me. I occasionally do. Oh, that's nice of you. Elongated poo or something. Right. Uh, Yeah, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. As always, take care.